0: I am Rex Enderberg and this is Book Focus. We're talking today with Ridge Walker. Her collection of short stories in the horror genre is called The Ghosts on This Road. Can I tell you, you are notoriously difficult to locate. Is that intentional?
1: Am I? I I I'm not aware of yes, anyone I'm really not, trying to I think back you me down.
0: Our production staff uh, made the comment that uh, you're not the easiest, and and history has shown that you're not the easiest person to to contact. There is a certain veil of of secrecy. Would would you admit to that?
1: I'm right. I'm right here. I live in the world. It started off the interview with this suggestion that I am kind of doing something in an irregular fashion or handling something poorly i I understand what you're saying that's that's more a problem with the with the pursuers and not me more a problem with the hunter.
0: I see let me ask you this. You write horror fiction. Is being a fan of horror fiction really about being overly obsessed with death?
1: What's being overly obsessed with it? It's really important. Wouldn't you say? What's more important? Being a fan of horror fiction is really that you just... You, you you like to walk up to things. You know, you don't want to wait. You want to walk right up to them. You want to see. You want to see now. You want to see it all. You know, whether that's a wise thing or even possible or not, it may be due to an outsized fear of uh, pain. It's really pain, I think, that's more... That's more frightening. What are your nightmares like? There's usually... There's usually some kind of a slipping that starts to kind of... uh, slow, like pull things under or, uh, or more accurately, like pull things out to the side and stretch them so thin that they might tear or break. In my most terrifying dream model, there is some kind of a sliding. I am made aware of something approaching from somewhere. It's mainly that I I somehow become aware that something is drawing near and it's something that I will have, I'll have to see, face. I'm not sure how I know, but I just know that I will not be able to handle it somehow. That it will be too scary. That it's going to be so horrifying that it will just shatter the entire sense of the world. Um, but I, you know, I also have the, the teeth falling out dreams that you know, I keep trying to spit out all the shards, but I can't can't seem to, and I keep trying to conceal it from people around me and and I'm always kind of astonished that there is actually no pain.
0: Your fellow writer, uh Ingo Flores has made a suggestion that you were very much affected by one or two Bizarre occurrences on the family farm when you were very young. Would you like to, uh, tell us about those?
1: Oh, uh, what a, what a fellow, what a fellow she is. I, I might dare to sort of counter suggest that it is she who's very much affected by, by these purported occurrences. She frankly seems kind of obsessed with them. Yeah, I have some theories. Uh, would I, would I like to talk about them? No. I, sure. Here's a short version. One time I saw something die, but then it wasn't dead. <laughs> uh, do with that what you will.
0: Would you say that you had a, a happy childhood on, on a farm? I know you left that sort of life. Uh, did, did you ever return to it? Do you? The reason I ask is, you know, in, in your stories, there's an oppressive sense of the unseen hostility of nature. There, there, there's something uh, dark, always cloaked by uh, the sound of insects buzzing in a field or, or rainwater on a roof. D- does nature frighten
1: you? Good Lord, yes. It's terrifying. I want, I want to just say no when you ask do they have a happy child. But 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 it's it's compli- it's like on the one hand it's the thing you most want to reject and the thing that you know that you're inextricably a part of forever and ever and ever and no matter what you do, you'll never really escape it. Uh but yes, nature is everything think of anything terrifying to you. Like the worst things you could possibly dream up. Well, it all comes from na- nature in some way. That's even the supernatural. You know, the name is the name is the name.
0: Do you spend time outdoors? Yes. After you, uh, moved away from, uh, your childhood home, you began a series of very long stretches, I understand, of living, we should say, the bottom financial tier of society. And, and, and I, I sometimes think I see that in your writing and sometimes I'm, I'm not sure. I, I can only imagine that it must have infused your work in ways that I don't, I don't understand. And I, I'm wondering if that's, that's really true. Uh, and how long that went on, uh, before you had some success.
1: I don't know what kind of success you imagine that I've had. Speaking in the most simplistic terms, you know, not having money, it's given me anger because I I, I think that anger is, is, is a gift. And it's given me conflict. I think that I have learned to dream big. Um, because that often feels like kind of my only true act of engagement or enchantment. But I simultaneously understand that there's like, there's no real hope of these dreams coming true, right? It's made me meaner.
0: There was uh, a very small pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when, uh, your story called Have You Seen was in development as a feature film, but it, it did collapse. And the, the director, uh, John D. Hancock said in print that he, he finally realized it was unfilmable. Unfilmable. He used that word and, and he had a bit of a, a breakdown over the experience. Um, do you agree that, that it was unfilmable?
1: Yeah. There was a strange violence to it. I consider both of us fortunate.
0: And so, as we speak today here on the set, you are still not known to the, the wider public. But, but in a sense, I, I, I get this—I I get this idea of you as someone. I see you as someone who is a fan of used bookstores and, and that sort of life and that sort of environment. And, and maybe you, you're happiest not so much dealing with uh, publishers and editors and, and, and filmmakers, but haunting the shelves of, in particular, a used bookstore. I, I get this sense uh, about you. Do, do you have any particular strong memories of, of time you've you've spent in them?
1: There's a particular feeling that uh, these spots on the earth uh how they make me feel it was like this hope of finding a secret door to somewhere you know like a garden or something or just another world um they always gave me this feeling that was on the one hand very sweet and on the other very desperate when you have something tactile that you you, like you want to immerse so much in it but you can't physically kind of capture it there's something elusive about it that you you just will never get your fill you will never get to the bottom of it um those feelings have have faded now but they're not gone i just there there is this this tension i feel in used bookstores where I want to be there more than anything. I want to stay there. I never want to leave. But I also, at the same time, know that I can't. And know that, that even if I were given this gift of like being able to eternally dwell in this place, I would lose my appreciation of it.
0: You mentioned when we were able to locate you that, uh, that you had, you had, committed a one story you wrote to memory and then you burned it why did you do that and, and is it true that you 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 know one of your stories by heart but but you burned it
1: it felt a very true to me and it also i was also aware that no one needs this in the world no one will need that no one needs this can
0: I impose on you? Can I challenge you here to recite that story for us? Would you, would you be willing to do that? What, what would that break some sort of, uh, would that cross a line? Would that
1: is? I don't know. You, you have a job to do as, as, as do I. And we're kind of interacting in this, you know, very fabricated, but somewhat honest space. Why the hell not? Um, I think I can I think I can remember it. Um, it doesn't have a name. Um, okay. When the wind blows, the ghosts come out. Back then, if you looked hard, you could see them running up, whipping shoulders back and forth. They never seemed to reach the sense. But then, of a sudden, one did. One of particular salt. He screamed. He tapped our windows under killed moons at dawn. It happened in the house. But that's nothing to say. Where were the signs? The icebox was cold. The stove was hot. The mailbox dripped like a mine. Empty as your bright grass. What's in the corner? What do you see? It happened, that's all. It was Valentine's Day.
0: I am Rex Anderberg. We will break here and we will return with the Ridge Walker on book focus. Thank you.
1: If Lucille is there, Sylvie and I have stood outside her window a thousand times and we have thrown the side door open when she was upstairs changing beds and we have brought in leaves and flung the curtains and tipped the bud vase, and somehow left the house again before she could run downstairs, leaving behind us a strong smell of lake water. Marilyn Robinson, Housekeeping
2: Beach, Fence, Prince. Beach. The night was a pearl of stars Kerchiefs of wind And before the night As the sun sunk down like syrup in a glass The sky was a ghost of a robin's egg blue Shards of thin clouds miles out to sea The couple had, for many moments that weekend, beamed Hearts out like giddy kids See, they weren't young, really Not in most ways, at least But they were new, and that can happen wherever you are. They loved as hard as they could. That night they danced, hands tight as creaking ice. There had been rum, steak. After two bottles of wine, they went out to the big gray porch of their rental and stared. They laughed at how the tips of small waves looked like white snakes struggling, swallowed by black. They leaned at the flats of their forearms on the cooling wood and swayed, breathing, blankets round their backs, wild mint bursting up from planks. What's that? he said. Off to the right, near the porch, there were two dark shapes, shadows on the sand. They went down the steps in their uncovered feet. The shapes were long and narrow like Bullets or loaves of bread. The sides had gone sloppy, gone sliding. But they were fresh, just dug, and smelled of low tide. Pits. Once they really saw them and felt it, once they knew and understood, it was unmistakable. One almost wanted to laugh, how quickly and so deep. Like movie magic. Really, they half-thought, how ridiculous. It can't be what it is. But it was. Two graves. All evening they had not heard anything strange, had not seen anyone. They looked down the beach to the north. There was another house there, up a little higher, a big square on stilts. It's too far, she said. I don't think it has anything to do with them. Their gluey minds raced and grabbed for sticks. Lacy moon, whirling rocks, foxes yipping on the bluff. Those are for us. Fence. In the granite sunrise, he turned on the space heaters and the coffee pot. He was alone that morning. The others weren't due in for an hour. He checked the list of opening chores, though he knew it well. Before unlocking the cabinets of equipment in the tool room and the garage, he knew he had to survey the property. That was the shop crew's lot. A daily scan of the grounds, mainly for breach along the fence. The area was wild industrial, with wide lots of weeds and rusting husks of pipes and generators and old tanks. He wasn't always alone in the mornings, but when he was, he sometimes admittedly skipped this step. It was time-consuming, especially if he was running a little late. But it was also a chance for some final quiet, often the day's last peace, and to look for little brown rabbits... By the blackberry fence. Gnarled, spiking brambles came down from the road and raised through the poisoned acres of thistle and rag and sinks and dandelion plastic to the slow. There were a lot of break ins on this stretch, and sometimes there was something to find a cut wire, a pushed in pole. Then an inventory would follow and an official report. That morning he went along, finding nothing. Nothing until an odd thing. By the jointed tarps on the old truck shell, round the back of the lot to the north, it seemed to be a kind of disturbance. Or was it one? He he couldn't tell. He wasn't even really sure what he was looking at. More an impression in the gravel, like a wave of sound. A scrape, a scoop out, a drawing of wind, of dirt or stew. The fence seemed intact, links unbroken, no cuts or smash, like something had shoved through to the yard. Maybe an animal coming over or under. He turned back toward the shop to get an incident form. When he stepped back inside, Everything was changed, broken. Other than saying he caught the movement of something low and dark and many-footed scrambling in a back corner, bolts raining down, clattering over the concrete like beads, it's not feasible to describe what was there for him to see. We can say things, but they won't land. For instance, I could say that all the furniture was turned upside down, or that the chairs were full of ash, or that there are bad people in the world, and sometimes they show up on your street. You and I, well, all we have is talk, and we don't really have the words to work those things out. Prince. One morning that winter, that weird green winter before the storms, she rose very early. She poured hot coffee and sat at the kitchen table, trying to be very quiet. She set her mug down on a muting yarn kit coaster and pressed the curves of her palms against it. The snow had fallen steadily since the afternoon before. The big white eyelash flakes must have stopped. "'sometime in the middle of the night. "'She suddenly recalled an intense dream "'in which her husband was trying to wash the sheets, "'but the skin on his hands kept falling off. "'She looked out toward the tall, dark scoop of the back fence. "'When the sun began to rise, to float up, "'she noticed something. "'She pulled on her boots by the back sliding doors.' There were tracks in the snow, beginning at the swing set, at the base of the slide, and going toward the patio. But then they stopped. It appeared that a person had stood there in the yard, facing the house. She couldn't tell much from the shape of the tracks, but they were very narrow, almost tapered on both ends, like a diamond, she thought. What do Called a voice from inside. The heavy glass struggled open a few inches. Nothing, she answered, making prints. He rubbed his eyes with his fists. Prince, he said, his favorite book at that time was about a family of royal frogs. Prince. Not that kind of prince, she said. Footprints. Prince he said again with a soft marvel. He was her husband's child, but he was away and it was just the two of them. She had mixed feelings about all of this, getting two boys instead of just the one she wanted. But they were both easy to love. She made pancakes and they bundled up and went to the park and then took long naps on the long, nubby sofas in the den. The afternoon turned fast to dark. Puzzle turned to crayons, turned to dinner, turned to bath. When he was in bed, she sat in the living room for a while and shut her eyes. There were a lot of expressions required with a young kid. He had to keep serving them up. Sometimes her cheeks and forehead ached. She tried to melt her shoulders down. She had thought nervously about the tracks here and there throughout the day, But the honest truth was that by then, by the time she was finally alone again, she had forgotten. Later, deeper into night, she woke to a great, ragged thump. She lurched up the stairs and into the hall, into his room. The walls still swirled delirious, with dinosaur shapes in burst orange and bright blue from his carousel lamp. He was standing on the foot of his bed and seemed to be bouncing. He faced the window and smiled with all his little teeth pushed out. Are you okay? She went over to him. What was that? He nodded and collapsed with a theatrical exhaustion back on the bed, his tiny, pajama-footed feet in the air. Prince! he exclaimed. She followed his eyes up. There was a smear, a long gash in the ceiling. What did that, she said, a dark wet dripping down. The prince, he said. He is so tall.